Welcome to the Artipop podcast. As the founder of Artipop, I've always felt we live in a highly conventional era when it comes to motherhood. But also that change is near. Therefore, I created this podcast to give voice to different refreshing perspectives around motherhood and life in general. I've asked a journalist, Kaira van Wijk, to host this series for you. Let's use our feminine energy to shape the future. Hello and welcome. This is your host, Kaira. Today we have a beautiful conversation in store for you with Adriana Ayales, clinical herbalist, mother of two, plant whisperer and founder of Anima Mundi Herbals. She grew up in Costa Rica, surrounded by healers, where she found her own intuitive voice through plants. Later, she started Anima Mundi Apothecary in Brooklyn, New York. Now she's back with her family in Costa Rica, a place where she feels alive and in tune with nature. We talk about all things wellness, from getting a sweat on to sacred plants that are beneficial for pregnancy and postpartum. She also speaks on the importance of bridging ancient remedies to the modern world and protecting indigenous communities, divine femininity, motherhood, and much more. Okay, let's get to it. Hi, Adriana. I'm so happy we're here. How are you this morning? Oh, good. It's been a lovely morning and it's just fantastic. There's a lot of work, but, you know, it feels good to kind of, I'm learning to define balance of having fun in life and not working too much. So how do you personally balance everything out also with small children? Yes, right. I mean, it's just, it's been interesting for me. I feel like I've navigated so many ups and downs, you know, like honestly, several months back, I was just zero taking care of myself. I was just like, you know, haggard, like <laughs> running around in my rags, I call it. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, like tending to everything in survival mode. And uh, it just feels, you know, it was so hard to just keep, you know, the day to day in a pleasant way. I was just so exhausted and I didn't even have the energy to want to go do anything from yoga to nothing, you know. So I feel like I finally stopped and I just really devoted myself to self-discipline and having, you know, morning meditations again. And I really love working with plant medicine. So I did a few ceremonies with some dear curanderos to kind of really tune in. And it was just like really going back to a new sense of self-discipline throughout the day, you know, yeah. and then doing more exercise and just kind of sweating more, you know, taking care but sweating has been one of my favorite practices lately to get back in tune mm. on any level of sweat lodges, uh, sweating by running around or being in the garden and under this beautiful sun, you know, just kind of tuning in more elementally in my body like that and what I need right now. And it felt really good. Yeah. It's been great to be coming back to, to yourself. You know, it's so easy to lose yourself. What does that do for you to sweat lodges, the sweating? Why does it work so well for you? Oh, I just feel like it just purges this, like, I feel like it, really taps into this, even the psychic sweat, you know, like not just actual, let's say toxins from everydayness. And I feel like emotions get very toxic in the body too. So if there's, when I feel stagnant and not creative and like exhausted, I feel like I collect this, like, you know, like this emotional residue that feels toxic, truly. Mm. And, uh, and so I feel like sweating just makes me feel like it just, you know, sweats it from the bones you know it goes from the inner most core sense of self and you just feel so good after like you don't even have to 
process it. It's like the sweating itself already for me. It's like the fire, you know, really processes it out and just squeezes it out and alchemizes a whole new sense of like revive, rejuvenate itself. It's really nice. So you grew up with rainforest herbalism and surrounded by curanderos, which are healers or curanderas in your native Costa Rica. How did that influence your life? Yeah, so that greatly influenced everything for me. So it started when I was a young girl. I would just really be tuned into, let's say, the spirit world or other energies beyond what meets the eye. And at that time, although I was not realizing what that exactly was, it really helped me to have my mother and grandmother basically guide me in understanding that that in itself was worth discovering and was worth tapping into. So we would do different meditations at times and connect my grandmother and my grand aunt, I think you say in English, would be basically coming over for meditations here and there where we would be you know, invoking spirit energies, uh, ancestors that have passed, uh, grandmothers that had recently passed in the family type of thing. And so I started kind of getting to know how to navigate those worlds very young, which I think all children have the access. We all have this natural access. There's nothing special about one person doing it or not. Like we all have it at any time in our life. It's just when we're kids, we obviously are way more open and less invaded by confusion and otherworldly things and programming. But so anyways, at that time, uh, as I kept hearing the call and following that path and meeting other curanderos as I grew older, I realized that my path was of yerberismo, which is herbalism. And it's a specific form of curanderismo. There's many branches into curanderos. There's not, there, for example, the plant medicine curanderos are just one version of curanderismo. Mm. A lot of people nowadays think like, let's say, ayahuasca or iboga or whatever you're consuming is just... Uh, Curanderos, but curanderos, there's so many kinds. There's sobaderos, those that treat the body with the hands only. There's santeros or mentalistas, which are specific kinds of curanderos that only channel psychic energy and are more clairvoyant mediums. Then there's also hierberos, like I just mentioned, specific just to herbs. That doesn't necessarily include plant medicine as we know it, but just healing through herbs and dietas, which are specific uh, healing cleanses that you do uh, very no food or extremely minimal food. And you're out in nature in a very rustic way, just leaving very simply consuming basically herbal tea. And those teas are specifically assigned to you in this moment in your life uh, for you to basically purge and cleanse and connect to that plant spirit as potentially a doorway to other plant spirits. So For example, there's a common one that I that I love and it grows all around where I live, Bovinsana, because she, let's say, this one specific plant spirit that is known to heal the heart and grief, which is very much needed in the world right now and loved by many people. But you specifically, let's say, consume Bovinsana tea. That's like a decoction. You simmer it for a long time and then you drink the tea only for many days. There's dietas that uh, yerberos do for over a month, you know, and you just literally eat that with like, either like a boiled potato here and there or like unsalted fish that is from the river, like river fish. And so uh, Bovinsana, for example, has become, let's say, one of those spirit plants that comes to you that opens the doorway to the other realms. And it's almost like this messenger spirit that assists you to connect to fellow other messenger spirits, which there's millions, you know, it's, it's countless, it's infinite. Mm -hmm. So that's how it really works with yerberos. You, you have specific plants that allow you to get through this doorway to other realities and everybody will have their own magic recipe. And it is found, you know, of course, everybody's healing journey is different, but that's how I found mine as I kind of received my 
messenger spirit that I can cross to the other side, in other words, with. Um, so, yeah, so that's how I basically started. And then I continued and I continue. And it's an eternal self-educational, powerful journey, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are you always connected wherever you are in the world because you went to the States? Did you always have this strong connection to your plant spirit or is it stronger in Costa Rica? Mm, that's a good question. Definitely the rainforest is my my power center, I would say. When I'm here, I feel extremely in tune. So yes, in the rainforest... I specifically feel more connected. I because maybe I'm from here. I just feel like it's just the energy is so alive here. I feel like even when I'm walking, let's say I'm just having a very normal human day where I'm just running through to-do lists and just, you know, the normal human self that we all have to deal and <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I still feel like I walk these trails and it just feels like there's all these energies like almost witnessing you and looking at you. And it just feels such so different. It feels like this like forest of children that are just wanting to play with you and be with you. And they're witnessing you, let's say, even just hiking or walking around. And I feel like when I'm in other, uh, depending on the landscape, it just feels like the energy is very different and it will connect based on perhaps how your soul signature is, you know? Yeah. So I think even when I'm in the Northern forest, which I absolutely love too, it feels more of like this elder, more silent energy. It feels a little more like less like playful and, uh, and, you know, like alive, like jungle spirits, it feels more just like calming and nurturing and ancient in a very different way. Hmm. So, which I absolutely love, but I think it just, the jungle really like excites my soul when I'm here and it just really is a power spot for me. Yes, absolutely. Sounds magical. And your vision is to preserve indigenous medicine. Why is this so important to you? Yeah, so that has been a statement that's so funny since I'm a young age. That's like what I hear as a transmission every time I'm in these deep states because as like I said, you know, like it's like this path chose me. I didn't really even out of all the different branches of curanderismo that I've like learned and trained in in certain ways, like the one that yerberismo really wasn't per se my favorite in my, let's say, basic human mind. I was like, oh, trying to go in other directions. And then the path of herbs kept calling me. And since I started following whatever was given to me, that was always the message that I was here to preserve uh, indigenous medicine, ancient medicine, the medicine of the forest. And so as I kept hearing that, even as a young girl, I think I was like a teenager. I was like, wow, this is just like my statement. It became almost like this vision statement from spirit that I just had to continue following. And, And so it is, you know, I kept continuing and I knew that I had to use it within the languaging of, of what I was devoting myself to. Yeah. And why do you think it's also so important in these times that we live in now to also look at indigenous medicine, not just modern medicine? It's so important. We are going through, you know, like traditional medicine in so many senses, in all traditions of the world, has been completely abolished. And I think it's been on purpose. I believe these traditional remedies have been suppressed, hidden, blocked, destroyed for many reasons. You know, it could be globalization. It could be to suppress indigenous voices for a very long time. And it's something that's been happening for so long. It's not just this like modern day reality of suppression of indigenous minds. And so I think it's just those, like all that history has been erased. And it's so strange to me, you know, that that has happened all over the world. You go to the rainforest and as even if you think about it, when all these cities started developing and becoming a city, 
the indigenous people just kept going closer and closer and closer to the middle of nowhere. In other words, they just kept going deeper into the forest, uh, evading this uh, destruction of what they have held as the most sacred. And it is so sad to see this everywhere. Everywhere I've been, different indigenous communities that I've been to, that's why they're irritated and don't want to express themselves to the Western mind because it's been stolen, robbed, destroyed, shamed. And it is deeply sad to this day to them because they're still the living ancestors within them that they saw as children. They saw all this destruction. So it is really uh, unfortunate that the, this has been destroyed. It's precious knowledge. And a lot of these indigenous peoples, not like they were writing these massive manuals, like let's say how you find in Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, thank God that that was written because to this day, that's the most modern form of indigenous medicine. Mm -hmm. There's medicine that is absolutely more ancient than even those texts that was always handed down through verbal knowledge. So it's really sad that all that disappeared through, you know, because of modernity and the lack of respect to this traditional knowledge. I feel that makes your work even more important because you get to contribute to the local community. What's your take on that? Exactly. Yes, it's so funny because, you know, a lot of people have judged us saying, like, why are you commercializing these plants? Like, why are you making a profit on herbs and indigenous people? Like, that is considered, like, worse. And, you know, it actually isn't. I used to think that way. I used to think, like, why would I, like, commercialize, let's say, Suma, an amazing Brazilian ginseng? Why would I do that? Well, first off, it actually helps their local economy. Mm -hmm. These indigenous people will be working for money no matter what. They're going to either work for a rubber tapper or they're going to be producing organic and biodynamic suma. What is better? Obviously suma, right? Like that's how I started seeing it. It's like, why would they not be supported in a way better than, way than making sense doing a completely disgusting, you know, the rubber tapping is so toxic to the forest. What if they started doing their own version of permaculture that they've known their whole life? And they can actually be profitable uh, in their own community and they work as a family at it. I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that way everybody wins. It's like, and we're rescuing medicine from going extinct too. So I think, you know, there is no reason to be like, why wouldn't we support actually indigenous practices? Why wouldn't we support like famous plants that have also scientific research and make it even more powerful to to have it even be more beautifully cultivated by them rather than just monocropped by another person and then be like them profiting on that. Mm -hmm. I think supporting them directly is so beautiful. Totally. In any case, that's what I want to do more and more and more of before it's all abandoned, you know, or they go to work for oil companies and, and plantations. I also wanted to ask you very specifically about remedies for women and the womb. And I wanted to start out with How do indigenous women from Costa Rica traditionally prepare for childbirth? And what are certain rituals that they engage in right after childbirth? So there is so many beautiful plants, flowers and fruits, which is so much found in the rainforest. But from Central American practices that I have learned from and seen, there's a specific, you know, there's so many kinds depending on the part of the cycle, but specific to childbirth. The one that I've seen most commonly used is hibiscus. Hibiscus, you know, it's known as an uterine stimulant in, let's say, modern medicine, but curant and midwives, parteras, use it specifically at the very last stage of birth to prepare the uterus to have a, receive an influx of fresh new blood in order to prepare for birth. So here, curanderas, they prepare like about a liter of tea, of hibiscus tea. And many times they include, this is from a partera that I love in Guatemala, Hortensia. 
She combines cinnamon, like big chunks of cinnamon bark and hibiscus, and they simmer it for a long time. When you simmer cinnamon, you really see there's like this mucilaginousness that comes out, which is like consider, I call it like the holy mucus. This mucilaginousness is key for the restoration of the uterus. So any plant, even within your vicinity that you can tell that's obviously not toxic, that has that mucilaginousness, that's key for the revival of the uterus post-birth and right before birth to really allow for its rejuvenation. So they would make these liter of teas that they drink literally the day of birth and following the days after birth to restore the uterus, bring new blood. Also women that suffer hemorrhages or a lot of tearing, it's also used as a sit bath, literally the cinnamon hibiscus tea. You do a sit bath for the vagina or even to help with tearing to really restore it and bring it back. Um, same for internally, you drink it to assist the uterus. So you drink it and basically put it on anywhere as much as possible before and following the days of birth, which I think I did it in both of my babies and it was amazing and it was delicious. I mean, it tastes like a little treat, you know, it's really, really delicious. So mm -hmm. that's really wonderful. Also, it is believed that we lose a lot of like the sacred heat of the body post-birth, like obviously for the mama. Oh, interesting. So cinnamon, yeah, so cinnamon is considered like uh, a restorer of that sacred warm energy that we need in order to restore the uterus. So it is a very warming plant, of course, so it is wonderful to use. One that's also really good to help post-birth is something as simple as ginger. So ginger also too, kind of a, how is it stringent? It really helps tone the uterus back and help in the shrinking process in a very wonderful way post-birth, which you can combine with cinnamon hibiscus too, of course. And here, those plants are like staple foods, you know, like anywhere you go, you see cinnamon, <laughs> hibiscus and ginger basically all growing within the same garden, you know? So it is very beautiful to see how it was so intuitive, you know, it's like natural permaculture was already like that. And then parteras have used it for that specifically, yeah. which I absolutely love. Yeah. Yes. Are there also like some um, formulas, herbs, tinctures that you would recommend really during pregnancy? So when you're still far out from childbirth. Absolutely. And something I was going to add, actually, castor oil. Oh, castor oil. Yeah. Castor oil is amazing. And it's been used for thousands and thousands of years. There's like so much research around it. Obviously, the older research, I mean, folk research that has been found is based in India. But castor oil has also been used all over Central and South America. And it is extremely toxic. Like a lot of people think, why would I use that? That's almost like it can kill you immediately because if you eat it raw, of course you can die. Mm -hmm. But when you see the castor oil that you see in most places, a lot of people even drink it for constipation. A lot of women use it for tearing as well, for hemorrhaging. They even use it as a contraceptive. Supposedly, a lot of like old tales for preventing pregnancy is to like lube up the vagina with the castor oil as a spermicide. Oh, Interesting. Yeah, so it basically supposedly it prevents the sperm from binding. But I mean, of course, don't trust my word on this. This is just like an old classic tale. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh, I love castor oil for restoring anything, like especially with cuts, like if you've had a C-section or any kind of surgery, it's excellent to heal wounds in all levels. Interesting. I only knew castor oil for hair growth. Yeah, it's also more commonly known to like dissolve cysts and warts. So a lot of women rub their breasts with castor oil. Like if you feel like you're having lumps, even if they're benign lumps of any kind, like really massaging the breasts mm -hmm. uh, is wonderful to do castor oil. And it's kind of sticky. You can literally feel that like holy mucus, like I was saying. So you kind of really uh, 
any mucous membrane, including the nipples and your breasts, it's excellent to rub on even post-birth as well. Interesting. Yeah. And what else would you recommend for like first, second trimester, say that period? So first, second trimester is all about mineralization and prebiotics. I think those two are like fundamental pillars for a healthy pregnancy. So prebiotics, for example, here in the rainforest, classics are like sachainchi, which is a very abundant nut here that contains the three omegas, uh, three, six, and nine, which is incredible. So a lot of people, for example, here consume those nuts during early stage pregnancy, and there's always, it's like a multivitamin. Then also, let's say like yakong is very common here. Yakong is also one of nature's best uh, prebiotics, similar to lucuma, which you find also in South America. So it's basically these like a lot of these roots that we all love. I mean, not like a potato that's least it's not so nutritional, but certain roots here. There's another one like tikiske that people use here um, that really helps with prebiotics. So gut flora, you know, mineralizing your gut flora and really helping it be super functional for digestion. Probiotics obviously are essential too, but I feel like prebiotics for those that don't know the distinction, it's like basically prepping the soil of your intestines. If you don't have a rich soil to lay the seeds, which would be more of the probiotic, then the seeds won't really sprout as you might be thinking, you know? So when I really, really twisted my diet to be more prebiotic focused, my natural probiotics were thriving, you know, like produced by our own gut alone, you know? So that's where fermented foods are also of great assistance if you're trying to restore the microbiome. So I feel like all of that focusing on the microbiome when you're in early stage pregnancy is fantastic. Mm. You know, simple foods, you can do sauerkrauts, you can do your own kombucha, homemade vinegars. Any of those fun foods are excellent for prepping the intestines, which is key for the baby's health. You know, like you have to think of your health and baby. And that's the best way to nurture both at the same time and have fun. Yeah, you know? yeah. Such good tips. Yeah, so the herbs that I was going to say just to help with that, with the prebiotics, is nettle, which is a classic used all over the world. I think you find from Europe to North America to Asia to South America, all tribal peoples have their own form of nettle. There's a million kinds of nettles. You know, the family is huge. And so every single nettle from every environment has been used uh, traditionally, I mean, as a food, but also during uh, early stage pregnancy. So nettle is just like a fundamental food medicine to have, I think, all the time. Same with other mineralizers like here, Moringa is used also heavily through the first trimester through what I call the fourth trimester is essential for like the daily multivitamin. So Hardcore mineralizers is what all women really should focus on. I think that's that's key. Is there anything else that you would really recommend a pregnant woman to pay attention to in her day-to-day? Apart from like food, what you get into your system? Yeah, I think, you know, relaxing herbs are essential. Or they were for me. Like I remember in my first pregnancy, I was pretty, you know, not that I was fearful of birth, but I was not necessarily... Like, you know, I felt so unknown. I felt like somewhat scared at the very end of like, oh, what if something goes wrong? And I was getting a little anxious when it was going to be, is everything going to be all right? We live extremely remote. So for me, it was, you know, it was in the back of my, of my mind of like, what if something went wrong and I actually needed a hospital or, you know, whatever, which is very common and okay to feel, but I really wanted a home birth and I wanted to do it like I've learned from the, the parteras and midwives and so, so. But of course, it's in every most women's in the back of their mind, you know, like, of course, it's very natural to feel that. So 
I think having nervines, nervous system restoratives is essential to kind of ease that little, you know, hidden anxiety. Or for some women, it's extremely prominent that they feel very scared and they feel like the pain is going to be unbearable. So I think that is a great way to prepare for, you know, the pain for the rite of passage, for to ease the anxiety, to really not feel stressed about it, not worry about too many details about perfectly preparing for the best birth ever. Sometimes just going with the flow is extremely important too. So I think herbs that really assist that uh, relaxation is essential, which is also, of course, essential for your uterus. You want your uterus to not be contracted and antsy. You want it to be fully relaxed, fully in flow and just like in that process. So I think that's extremely powerful. Some of the ones that I love for that is passion flower. I think passion flower throughout the pregnancy in small amounts is absolutely fine. Same with chamomile, uh, regular amounts. Of course, don't overdo it. You don't want to be overly relaxed and just, you know, sleeping all day. <laughs> you want to just take it easy, but kind of use it as a toner, you know, a nervous system toner that you can just kind of use throughout. So you kind of ease into it. Mm-hmm. And then something which you probably, of course, know of, I think hypnobirth and meditations to hypnotize yourself is essential to practice throughout the entire pregnancy. I did it with my second baby and it was seriously such a different reality for me. I was doing, uh, well, following kind of the classics of hypnobirth, using specific music to activate, you know, kind of relaxation, the, the binaural beats type of music is very beautiful to use, or just any kind of relaxing music you love. And I think tuning in deeply into the core of your mind and like working with the whole future self visualization, I think is very beautiful too. So like imagining your birth, taking the time to really practice it throughout. If you're like an advanced meditator, maybe you don't have to start so early, but maybe you just do it naturally <laughs> without having it to call it hypnobirth. But I think um, doing that since the beginning, being in those states of meditation is essential uh, through the entire you know nine month process. And what are your thoughts on breastfeeding and also how important yeah, the, the role that nutrition, but also safeguarding your energy is while breastfeeding? Yeah, that is so important too. I think, again, stress is a, a killer. You know, stress really inhibits biological function on so many levels. So it is so important to, again, use allies, plant allies that really help you relax, using practices like meditation to help you relax, because that really is fundamental to producing milk. Fundamental, you know, like if you're stressing out or, you know, it happens to a lot of women where they're just like shocked with their new reality and they're just you know, dealing with some sort of depression or the postpartum blues. And, you know, that if, if it's not helped with with other plants that can really assist us chemically, it can really kind of dry up our production. I've seen it in a lot of women that I've attended directly where they're just, you know, so depressed and so, you know, not looking forward to motherhood. They're just not inspired by it. And it's, you know, and obviously not talked about because it feels shameful. It's supposed to be like, wow, I had a baby. I'm in the miracle of life. But it's also okay to be like, I freaking hate life right now. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's okay to not feel like you're in this ecstasy and it happens a lot. So I think, you know, using herbs like dopamine boosters, like mucuna in short, short amounts really help that. And that naturally assists milk production, you know, just like activating the dopaminergic system activates all your uh, amenagogues, like the plants that really assist uh, production. So other amenagogues, which mucuna is not exactly an amenagogue, but it does assist milk production. Other ones are like moringa is excellent to support with milk production, but that's more of a vitamin. There's also serotonin boosters that I absolutely love. There's 
many kinds, like even small amounts of St. John's wort to deal with the postpartum blues, um, naturally assist your immune system as well. So I think drawing upon those plants is great. Mm -hmm. Another classic is, of course, milk thistle or blessed thistle. Um, they're excellent for assisting that process and, you know, also as well uh, producing more milk, which is key. But I think stress all in all is so key. I've seen so many women that have zero access to herbs. They just have access to whatever they eat every day. And, you know, their state of mind changed everything, everything. So if you don't have access to plants and special foods, it doesn't matter. It's all truly in your mind more than anything else. What are your thoughts on cleansing before pregnancy and after breastfeeding? That's a great question. So many women ask about that. So many people also get pregnant without, you know, expecting it. And, you know, you just didn't even get the time to cleanse. But if you are specifically prepping for a baby, I think doing a cleanse is fantastic. Mm. And nothing, again, that's stressful. You know, like doing cleanses that are intuitive are so important too. You know, you don't want to stress yourself. Some cleanses can really ignite stress. And that's the last thing you want to do. You know, like the last thing you want to do is be suffering through something that you can't stand, that doesn't feel intuitively right. Don't even do it. You know, there's so many fad cleanses out there. You can see a million things online and get ideas and everything. But it's so important to really do it based on where you're at in your life, what you exactly need and what you have space for. Mm -hmm. If you're running a super high stress job that you barely have time to deal with yourself, which has happened to me many, many times. Uh, it's important that you do something that's soothing for you, you know, like maybe you need warming soups and specific mineralizers, not necessarily like a juice cleanse with raw food, you know? So I think it really depends where you are, what your environment is, what season you're in, what are you feeling? What's your state of mind like? What are you looking forward to being? And then based on that, choosing a cleansing system that really supports you, Yeah, you know? So it's so important. It's like so many people think a cleanse looks one certain way, you know, and it, it can look so many different ways, right? Yeah. It's very personal, of course, I can imagine. Exactly. Like, for example, me, I'm right now drawn more to healing broths and soups than like the classic, you know, super green, super raw kind of cleansing that I used to be like a big fan of, you know. So now it's so nice to stick to the warming foods if that's what you need and more warming than cooling. I was also wondering because you have mainly lived in Costa Rica and of course in the States, in California, and then in Brooklyn, I think. Mm -hmm. um, what cultural differences around motherhood stand out to you between those two vastly different places? Since I lived only mostly in big cities when I was in the States, <laughs> it's a very different kind of reality. But And then here in Costa Rica, I live very far away from uh, cities. But uh, I think for the mothers up north, the stress levels and the overachieving type of mentality was very prominent. I felt like mothers that wanted to just really be active all the time, like working till the very last second of their pregnancy, being like kind of like high energy and uh, yeah, kind of like wanting to really continue their normal life on top of having their belly <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that's what I really noticed the most uh, from being in the States. And then, you know, it's also the work mentality of like, I don't want to stop working. I'm going to keep working till I die kind of feeling, you know. Mm -hmm. so here, I feel like in Costa Rica, especially, it's very much the pura vida culture, like we say. <laughs> A lot of people here are very laid back and, you know, they're kind of just, you know, not caring to work or make too much money or just kind of like really, really uh, relaxing and enjoying and, and just living very laid back. So really, that's like, I would say the more generalized difference. Of course, there's so many kinds of women and culture, you know, that really depends. But 
that was the general feeling that I saw differently. Here it's way more grassroots. I feel like people here are a little more like closer to the earth naturally. And it's, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Nature is extremely, you know, all around. It surrounds you. There's even when you're driving on the road, nothing is like manicured mm -hmm. <laughs> or like heavily manufactured. Everything's just kind of like wild and free. There's chickens running everywhere and cows and monkeys. And, you know, it's, I think that naturally already creates a different system of mind. Yeah. So, so I think people here are just naturally more under that uh, timing versus the timing that you see in uh, bigger cities and more westernized culture. And why did you decide to move back to Costa Rica? And what is it like raising your family, little children over there? Oh, I love it. I really love it. Uh, I really came back to be closer to my family, you know, like being closer to my mother and my brothers and cousins and the whole family situation. Mm -hmm. um, it's, re it's really nice to be back home too, like in the roots. I was just kind of feeling... Uh, like I was really longing for that kind of wildness again, like just the roots, the rootsy, jungly, grassroots reality, like more rustic and um, just kind of really enjoying more of a laid back life. Um, so I really wanted that. And then my husband, too, he was like, even though he's not from Costa Rica, he was like, I'm not living in the U.S. I am living right here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was opposed to living uh, in cities and kind of living that fast-paced life. We have a homestead type of layout. So he just would, wanted to be more like growing his own food and taking care of the chickens and stuff like that. So we kind of uh, wanted to be more laid back here, which is so much better for the rhythm of children, in my opinion. Of course, everybody's different. Everybody has a different reality and that's respected. But I think for me, since I grew up more like this, uh, for me, it was really a true coming home, which I needed to be the best mother I could be, honestly. Hmm. If not, I feel like I would have not been so present as a mother and just working away and not uh, really enjoying uh, the kids in this precious stage, especially when they're so tiny, you know, it's so special to really carve out the time to be with them in these early stages. Yeah. And how old are they now? Right now they're, he's almost six and she's almost four. So oh, yeah, yeah. yeah there's still little nuggets. Yeah. But I can imagine it really impacts them. Like it's such a different environment. Yes, exactly. Like I cannot even imagine taking him into an apartment and I mean, after being here and then trying to deal with that, it would be very interesting to see, honestly. Um, yeah. So it's really nice to be able to offer them this and kind of give them more of a taste of how I was brought up. It was, it's beautiful. What does divine femininity mean to you? Well, oh, beautiful. Um, divine femininity to me means the beautiful receptive nature of our biology and spirits it's the the part of us that really receives listens and contains the sacred sanctity that is our soul you know so i really see it as the special place where we receive the transmission of life it's like the true underworld like the what i like to call like la selva sub subterránea like the the forest within it's like the part of us that really contains that sacred essence the mystic essence within all of us, men, women, beyond. It is that sacred part of us that really contains that mystery, the mystery that we were brought into and birthed from. Beautiful. I read that you spoke about the womb related to the Vesica Piscus, sacred geometry. Oh, yes. Could you share some more about that? Yes, that is so special. I think that is really, really extraordinary. There is a lot of alchemical texts and, you know, from Egypt and well, ancient texts in different parts, even in, it's found a lot in Greek medicine, this uh, symbol of the two circles coming together 
and creating this inner circle that looks literally like the shape of a vagina, like the doorway uh, that created by the two circles. So I think it's really fascinating how it's the coming together of this two oppositional energies, creating this sacred center that is shaped like the entry to the womb from the outside world. So it's like the entry from the outside into the inside. So you see it everywhere, you know, this is like, and it's not, let's say that far out to think, you know, it's like biologically, this is what it's looked like. You know, it's kind of present in so many things in nature. You can even go online and see the Vesica Pisces in nature mm. and you can see it represented in so many things. Sometimes trees have it when their roots kind of concave in a certain way or even starfish in the sea have a certain like mouth that opens and closes like a big uh, vagina, you know, and cave systems of the earth that also kind of warp in that way. So I think it's just, you know, it's like a vortex point. It's like really where two energies come together in perfect harmony, mm -hmm. creating the doorway to the mysticism of the divine feminine. And this is where we all come through. You know, this is the portal that we're all birthed through. Animals, humans, it all looks very similar. Obviously, some animals like fish and so don't necessarily have it, but like mammals all have this like Vesica Pisces biologically within. So it is a geometry that we all kind of like birth through. And it's really special. And it's extraordinary that it's been seen in so many ancient texts. You know, it's been so clearly understood that that is like the geometry that is fundamental to the creation of our 3D existence. It's beautiful how it comes back in nature in so many different ways. Right, like doorways. I've seen even mountain ranges where they literally, if you look like with squinted eyes, where you kind of like um, diffuse your, your eyes a little bit, and you see how certain mountains go in that way. Like if you really see the bigger picture, some mountains spiral out like mountain ranges, And then you can see the Vesica Pisces in the center, like even um, Cenotes in Mexico. Mm. There is a few places where it literally looks like that, like the two mountain ranges coming together. And then there is like the sacred doorway, which is like the glorious Cenote, which is very much representative of a womb, you know. So it's, it's amazing how it's actually everywhere. It's, it's really amazing. How do you actually welcome in your intuitive voice through plants? I think for like for me, I there's... There's many different ways, but for me right now, I think uh, offerings are very important. Ofrendas, divine offerings you do to nature. It's uh, it's very clear. Nature loves that. It's very clear. You know, like even you could be in your practice, let's say in your meditation practice, let's say you love to do it under a certain tree or a certain place or hopefully outside. You know, it can be anywhere. Even if you live in a city, go to a park and If you're drawn to a specific tree, just go connect, you know, go connect to that space. There doesn't have to be a reason why you just, if you feel it, just, you know, be in it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one way to guide yourself to finding a place. And then to that place, I think doing the ofrendas, the, the special offerings is very important. And this can look in so many different ways. You can call in a vision up to, as to what that area wants as a, as a ritual offering. So it can be a certain action It can be an actual physical thing. It can be flowers. It can be a poured tea that is infused with intentions and mindfulness that you pour into the roots of a tree. It can be an elixir that you concoct of certain of a certain way, whether it's alcohol or vinegar or honey or whatever medium that really speaks to you in that moment, I think is very important to use and allow yourself to intuitively connect. Don't doubt it. It doesn't, if you start feeling certain elements, go with it. Don't doubt that voice and be like, oh, I thought of that because of this and that. Like, don't reason it. Really feel after knowing what space you're choosing, 
really feel what elements are called to you in that moment. So that is nature speaking to you. And it's like, we're like the messenger that's following the directions of the divine. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I think it's very special. Like I've had many spontaneous visions. I've had it in dreams. I've had it while I'm even doing, let's say, even washing dishes. It can be like any time. It doesn't have to be like a very sacred meditation. It can be any time where you specifically understand something where you get that aha moment of what that energy is speaking about. And so I love doing that. And you can see it clearly when I do offerings based on those spontaneous kind of intuitive hits, you go back to, you know, where that is being taken, or let's say that specific tree or plant or area. And then you can just see the signs like synchronicities unfold, you can see like, people that are just magnetized to your life after you do those things. It can be certain opportunities start opening up. It's almost like it spirals your intention and it like magnetizes your manifestation like almost instantaneously if you're really doing it out of your heart. It's really strange. It's almost like that's nature's way of telling you this is a sign that this is well received, you know, <laughs> like this is a sign yeah. that I love you and keep doing this, please. <laughs> it's just fascinating how it you know, nature speaks through that kind of symbolism, that kind of synchronicity and that kind of divine spurts of spontaneous uh, knowledge, wisdom, transmission. It's actually like so close to us, but we just like, I think in modern life, we just sort of forget, we lose contact. Yeah. Isn't that strange? It's like, it's so simple. It's actually so simple that I think that's why many people doubt that what they're hearing is not true, Mm -hmm. but it is. And it just has to be sharpened. And the more you do it, it's like a muscle, the more you'll know what's a real voice and what is not a voice. Yeah. And, and then it just as simple as that. It's like as simple as recognizing a, like a radio signal. Mm-hmm. You just have to tune to the right station. Once you're there, it's a download all day long as much as you want it. So my final question to you is a very specific one for, for mothers, for parents. Do you have a message that you'd like to share with new moms? Mm. My message would be to really find that holy center within yourself, regardless of the chaos and the fear and the intensity of the darkness that can be, that has been the last couple of years on our planet right now. And to remember that that's just one version of the story. There is so much more to life than what we see through our phones and on the news and It can be so overwhelming that it is so important to unplug from that and just enjoy the genuine presence and simplicity of existing and being and living now, especially with your baby. Or if you're looking to manifest a baby, just knowing that that is actually life, not everything else we're fed and that we get distracted with. That is not necessarily life. That is just a whole bunch of information that is not always the greatest And so I think it's important to really cultivate what you want to focus on. It's really important to sharpen our mind and our intuition to really follow what really life is about. You know, if we didn't have our phones and all these other crazy things, we wouldn't even notice what's going on. I wouldn't even know there's a pandemic going on where I am, I guess. It's very important to also know that that is available to anyone anywhere. It's what you're tuning into and that really dictates how your life progresses Mm -hmm. and It's important to guard our sanctity of our being in that way and not allow other programs to program them onto our life. You know, we really have to safeguard our authentic energy before we take on everything else. Yeah. Especially our baby feels that our babies are an expression, an extension of you. 
you know, so if they're an extension of you, try to give them exactly that part of your life that is so sacred and it's, it's your sanctuary and just transmit that to your beautiful creation. It's such an important time to do that. It's so easy to get swallowed with all that everything that's going on and it's honestly disturbing and it creates inner chaos and it destroys our immune system. It destroys our mind. It just destroys so many things. So it's important to really nourish these practices no matter what's going on. Well, thank you so, so much for your time. I really loved speaking to you and so many like new insights and wisdom. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me and great to meet you. Thanks so much for having a listen. If you'd like to be notified when a new episode is up, please hit subscribe. And also feel free to leave a comment. We're very happy with any feedback. Have a beautiful day and until next time.